Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, let's have a look at this great wonder. Here we are. That's my time, Chef. Oh, so that's it, eh? This horrible block of stone. Precisely. How does one exactly get into hammer and chisel? Pull to open. Pull to open. Yes, and what do you do? Gullible peasants who believe everything I say to them. Mr. Taylor! Where are you with that string, dear boy? Come along. Now, the vibrations. Ticklish. Get back, get back. Here comes the drums! Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, the entire television program, in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and we have a very, very special episode of Pull to Open for you. This is uh, not our first time on location, but it is our first time with some actual locations. Uh, close to location. Close to the location of our story, which is uh, very exciting. Um, but uh, nice. let's let's get straight into it. Pete, tell the good folks at home uh, how, how we have been traveling through this random adventure and perhaps some salient points uh, for recent adventures that we've been to. Happy to. <laughs> Previously on Pull to Open... In the recent past, everyone, we were in the Peter Capaldi era at a little adventure, little adventure bigger on the inside more than ever before called Flatline. That's right. With Fun a tiny, action. teeny tiny TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of hands carrying the TARDIS, coming out of the TARDIS. Uh, it was good times. Um, speaking of hands, speaking <laughs> of hands of Time Lords, speaking <laughs> no, of hands of Time Lords that had artifacts named after their hand, speaking wow. of a Time Lord that tried to transfer from an antimatter universe who may have had that hand figuratively, <laughs> we were at Arc of Infinity. That's wow. We got there in the end. That, that line became an arc. <laughs> the arc of that link was long, but it bent towards justice. That was the bendiest segue I think I've ever done on this show. You're welcome, Pull to Open listeners. Arc of Infinity, yes, we were there at the beginning of Season 20, which will soon be out on Blu-ray, by the way, mm-hmm. in a special package with a whole mm-hmm. bunch of new special features. You're welcome, BBC. That's right. The randomizer brought to you by the BBC Enterprises. <laughs> but once we picked up Tegan, we went right back in our TARDIS and rewound to before her era, just a few stories before her era, though. It was full circle, the beginning right. of the Key Space trilogy. The line became an arc, became a circle. And if that wasn't enough to uh, allow you to understand and realize the awesome power of the randomizer, uh, it then took us to where we needed to go once again. Yeah. 
You know, I just got that. <laughs> Line arc circle thing. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's, that's right. Yes. Uh, uh, but yes, open. We, we've, we, we've been in the hands of big trigonometry, big geometry. <laughs> but we have been taken by big geometry all the way back into season two, serial nine, The Time Meddler. That's right. One that I hadn't seen and was was eager to see. Uh, Pete, you have seen this one before? Yeah, a few times. So uh, going even further back than the recent stories I just mentioned, we have visited season two a couple of times here on the podcast. But most notably, we've done the beginning of season two, which was Mm. Planet of Giants. Uh, one of the only three episoders in the classic run. Right. And it's it's interesting to sort of think about that season and starting with the TARDIS team of Ian, Barber, and Susan, and here we're ending it with a completely different TARDIS team of Vicky and Steven. We are, but we're also starting it with the tiny TARDIS of Planet of mm-hmm. Giants right. and ending it, spoiler alert, with a tiny TARDIS. Um. So to speak. So to speak. Uh, Not necessarily. Different tiny. Different tiny, different TARDIS. But uh, but yeah, we we will get there. But wow, what a a connection. Randomizer is throwing up so many connections. We're coming up with new ones on the fly. Um, Mm -hmm. But yes, we we have gone from the beginning to the end of season two, from tiny TARDIS to tiny TARDIS, from TARDIS team to TARDIS team. This is the first, uh, this is the first story without the original TARDIS team, right? The first story post Ian and Barbara. Um, Yes, with no one from that original companion team. Obviously, the Doctor's the same. But, you know, Vicky had come on board on another story we had done. The Rescue. uh, The Rescue. And we actually already did the the Romans as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've we've definitely, you know, had some uh, Vicky adventures. And this uh this particular era is interesting because this story begins a lot of things with Doctor Who, even though it ends season two, and we'll get to all of that. Hmm. But before we get to that, I just want to remind everyone, if you want to cut straight to our commentary on the Time Meddler, you have the ability to do that. You can go into the notes on the podcast that you are listening to to find the exact time code where we begin that commentary or just scroll down if you're on YouTube, go ahead. That same time code's there. You can fast forward right to that point if you so choose. But you're not going to want to do that, guys. <laughs> why would you? Because you're going to miss the Humoji Challenge. We've got a brand yep. new brain teaser for none other than Chris Taylor, our new contestant <laughs> on the Humoji Challenge. We also have a comment of the week from one of our YouTube uh, viewers. And we have some results from Arc of Infinity, the controversially rated Arc wow. of Infinity here on Pull to Open. So stick around for all that as we enter the Pull to Open Pulse Loop. Nice. All right. No, well, the correct response is Fetch Thalia. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll learn that one eventually. But in the meantime, listeners, one of the best ways to support Pull to Open and show that you support Pull to Open is to buy our merch. No, it is to leave a review in the podcast. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler TK. alert. Merch TK. Yeah, we got the merch back. It's it's too tiny. It, it's, uh, they had the dimensional control taken out of it. Uh, but instead, you can leave us a review in the podcast app, the very podcast app that you are using right now. You can do it while you're listening to us, especially if it's Apple Podcasts. That's nice. Uh, five-star reviews, also nice, if you feel that way. Uh, that'll make the show visible to more listeners and uh, listenable to more uh, viewers, 
no. Uh, something oh, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah actually, it will. Too. Yeah. it will. No, that works. Multitasking. Yeah, There's not... the polarity of that all the time. Exactly. Uh, and the only better way to show your appreciation for the show is to share it with a random friend. Uh, that's right. Use random.org, as we do every week, uh, to randomize your own friends. Uh, choose someone in your contacts, spin the wheel, send them this link, uh, and continue the... Uh, the, uh, the joys of randomness uh, by, by sending this podcast around. And uh, then your friends, too, will get to witness me being the, the Ken Jennings of the Humoji Challenge, uh, <laughs> which is what's about to happen. Ken so. Jennings when he was a contestant, though, not a host. <laughs> so let's be clear about that, because, yes, guys, it is now time for the Humoji Challenge. Oh boy. And this is the time in the show, of course, where I get to give Chris his greatest pleasure during a podcast recording. And we're going to have a title, a Doctor Who story title in the form of an emoji submitted by one of our loyal listeners. And he is going to guess that story. Are you ready, sir? As I will ever be. I've not looked through the codex recently, so I'm entirely going on my memory of Doctor Who episode titles, story titles. So let's let's do this. Let's do this. Okay. I think you're gonna got you gonna, gonna, I think you got this one. Okay. Let me see. <laughs> Usually you say that I I don't get it so much. So we got two emojis. Oh boy, okay. First emoji. The brain. Uh-huh. Second emoji. The infinity sign in a circle. So there's a circle around sort of the infinity, you know, let's look a sideways eight, if you, hmm. if you know what I mean. So it's not Brain of Morbius? It is Brain of Morbius! Morbius, because Mobi the Mobius loop. Mobius loop, okay, I Mobius, get it. Morbius, it's only a consonant <laughs> away. It's acceptable. What's did I give it away brain? by using a definite article in front of brain? I said the brain. And yeah. you could go right to what article, what story starts with the brain? I mean, it. yes, I, I, I guess it could have been the mind of evil if the second uh, emoji had been something representing mm. a devil. Well, well, there's there's a tip for you. Boom. <laughs> I know. There you go. So, <laughs> for extra credit. From listener Chris Taylor. <laughs> You know what? Throw that up against me next week. I will have forgotten that I said it, and uh, <laughs> I could probably defeat myself on that one. Right. Probably because of some brain surgery, perhaps. <laughs> um, awesome. You two can submit a emoji title for the emoji challenge anytime. That one, of course, came from Bob Gilby, who submitted you, a bunch Bob. on Twitter. Thank you, Bob. Loyal listener, friend of the pod. Uh, but you can do that too. Go ahead, give us a shout at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of which we are at Pull to Open sixty three. You can leave a comment on TikTok where we're at Pull to Open, all one word, or go ahead and just hit leave one on a, a YouTube comment. We're at youtube.com slash pull to open. All good places to submit your Doctor Who story title in the form of an emoji. 
and right. we would love to keep this challenge going. Yeah, and we, we uh, you can't submit your Humoji challenge on Spotify, but what you can do on Spotify is take part in our poll and uh, in a feature we call Poll to Open, where we leave the polls open on all of our stories. So if you think that you, you know, you uh, just may have heard us talking about Ark of Infinity, for example, and you may have opinions about Ark of Infinity, just go to that episode, vote in the poll, you don't even need to listen to it. Uh, add your vote right now. And we do have some results from Ark of Infinity, and it's a surprise. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you recall, if you listened to that episode, I rated Ark of Infinity in Ogron. It's a bad episode, bad story with no Mm -hmm. redeeming features. Uh, He'd rated it a Professor Hater, appropriately enough, and it's right after Time Flight, uh, which is, you know, a bad story, but at least we learned something. Um, mm-hmm. At least, it at least they it. tried something. At least they tried something new. We we like to reward that. Uh, well, this is this is. I did not expect this, but our audience seems to love Arc of Infinity. Um, <laughs> a full fourteen percent gave it a Viscount Banger our top rating. Forty three percent gave it a Dalek our our good rating our basically good episode. So that is a clear majority there for for Ark of Infinity being worth your time. Were you were you as surprised by that result as I was, Bean? No, because <laughs> given my familiarity with Doctor Who memes, I think mm. Gun Toady Nissa uh, is such a popular one that the people were showing some reverence for the the source of that meme. Also, I do think the the reasons I gave it a hater and didn't you know even though it has it's a troubled story, are are pretty evident. I think most people remember Ark of Infinity not just for Nissa shooting a bunch of people, <laughs> but the nice showdown at the end between Davison and Davison, hmm. as well as Commander Maxwell, who right, okay, I mean, Colin Baker, Colin, ba- Colin hmm. Baker steals the show uh, every chance he gets. So you know there's a lot of there's a lot to like about Ark of Infinity, and I can see if you focus on those elements. Um, you come away wanting more and yeah. wanting to see it again. Yeah, uh, only twenty nine percent agreed with you, uh, Pete, that it was a professor hater, and f- uh, but uh, that's more than agreed with me that it was an Ogron. Uh, only fourteen percent Ogrons. No fixed point in time votes. No Lady Cassandra votes for it's pretty, but has a paper thin plot. Um, so yeah, mm. well, we we may have more classic show fans than than I knew among our audience. But do keep voting on those Spotify polls. Do, do keep voting. Also, do keep visiting our YouTube page. It's uh, getting more and more followers every day. Thank you for that. If you actually listen on a podcast app, uh, but don't follow us on YouTube, uh, please go ahead and do that. That really does help the show mm. if you subscribe to our channel. And hey, if you that's the primary way you find our content, don't forget to go ahead and hit that bell icon. That'll let you know we have new content. Uh, and you know, keep on keep on visiting the page um, and commenting. So we have some great comments on YouTube. Our YouTube commenters, I got to say, are, do a great job giving good YouTube commenters a good reputation. Uh, and one <laughs> yeah. of the regular contributors is Ethan Melton, and he had a great comment uh, of the week uh, that I'd like to read right now. And this is on one of our recent sort of side trips that I, I haven't mentioned, but the, mm. the side trip where we talked about who is the best actor to play the role of the doctor. Uh, and we had our favorites. We definitely asked for folks to talk about theirs. 
Um, and they delivered, but I loved Ethan's support here. He says, I'm glad you guys put Troughton on your list. Right. My favorite. He's great not only at doing completely opposite emotional states, but making it feel natural when he transitions between them. Amen. Indeed. Also, I, I'd i be remiss if I didn't point out that you left off Michael Jaston from your list, who played the Valyard. How did we miss Michael Jaston? Well, the Valyard is not, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're going to have to redefine like what it is to play the Doctor on screen. Like the Valyard right. is, is just sort of a shade, right? He's between the Doctor's 12th and final regenerations, I think is what is officially canon about him. Um, right. If we're going to do the Valyard, we got to do the actor who played the Watcher, even though he didn't have any dialogue. Right. Uh, right. So and then you sort of start to get into that, you know, echoes of echoes. But no, that's a fair point. He's 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 a good actor. Kind of a bit one note as the Valyard, though, I have to say. There's not really yeah. much dimensionality to his performance. So on on the is he or isn't he? I think it's a a conversation worth having, but I think it's yeah. totally valid to have the end of that conversation be no, he's not on the list yeah. uh, for sort of the reasons you stated. And he's he's kind of the doctor, but he's not he's he's not playing the doctor as we know the role, or even as the show bible would would describe the role. Right? It's it's more of a mislead and a unmasking and a plot twist than. Uh, characterization. So yeah. I think it's totally fine to draw a line where the Valyard's on the other side of it. Um, that said, I, I, I like Michael Jaston. I like some of those court scenes. It's, it produces some of the better dialogue of the whole trial. Um, I definitely wouldn't mind them revisiting the Valyard if someone has sort of an interesting thing to say about it or an interesting take uh, from from a plot standpoint on how that character could be reintroduced. But I'm certainly not mandating that or, mm. or dying to see that happen it's it's a it's i think there are other ways to explore the doctor's darker nature that are more interesting and i think the show's already kind of done that in many mm. ways with the time war stuff so indeed um yeah but, stay uh, tuned for our pull to open short trip the validity of the valyard um, mm. sounds like a good title uh <laughs> but also what sounds good is you following us on youtube because by the way we're going to have a, a little bit of uh footage a little later on so that's that's why you're going to want to go to youtube if you're just listening to this that's fine uh but you're actually going to see the uh the setting of the time medal or the the only possible setting for the time medal we'll we'll get into that but that might be one reason that you want to transfer right now and start start watching this podcast as well as just listening to it so go ahead and smash that bell icon that's right. We'll still be here. And you get to see my William Hartnell poster, folks. Hey. I've never had this up. It's right there. Yes, it's the one from Doctor Who magazine. Yes, it's technically the Dalek invasion of Earth. But you know what? It's Hartnell. <laughs> Close enough. And yeah, we need to celebrate. Yeah. And But before we even get to that footage, Uh-oh. I almost called it found footage. <laughs> we found it on your iPhone. Yeah. Um, Uh-oh. Before uh, we get to the footage, we have to get a little task out of the way, uh, everyone. And uh, that task, of course, is TLDW, Too Long, Didn't Watch, Too Long, Doctor Who, where one of us summarizes the entire story of the story we're about to talk about in record time. Yeah. Today, person is chris taylor oh dude i always feel for you because you got the emoji challenge and now you got the tldw and it's like do you have the energy 
I feel I feel like this this is a pretty easy one. It's a pretty simple story, although you know, famous last words in TLDW. Uh, but still, like I, I felt for you last week or last time when we did full circle, the last TLDW we did, uh, that there was a lot going on there to unpack, and and this not so much. Like uh, you know, on the surface, simple story. A lot of stuff going on under the surface and behind the story. Um, but I, I think the the problem then becomes that you get you get drawn into rabbit holes of like, yeah. You know, <laughs> I think this one story wise is structurally, but because of it's mm. it's sort of a slow reveal. There's probably some time jumping you're going to have to mm. kind of do to get it properly explained fully, and and it, through those time jumps you could get dragged into the vortex. So really? avoid yeah. that. Mm. But if you want to go on holiday for the second episode, I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, William Hartnell, famously not in the second episode. Uh, so, in uh, in honor of William Hartnell, I will leave the room for thirty seconds. No, I will. I will still be here. <laughs> I will use that time. Uh, we allot thirty seconds per classic uh, episode. There are four episodes right. in the time meddler, and uh, yes, that gives me two minutes. Pete will do the timing. I'm not. I'm flying blind. I'm not looking at notes. I'm just remembering. Everything that we saw in this story. So, this story, which of course is the time meddler, and here comes the pull to open summary of that story in three, two, one, go. Okay, so the Vicky and Doctor and the TARDIS—they've uh, just let Ian and Barbara go, and Vicky, the Doctor wants to know if he, if Vicky wants to be dropped off as well. Uh, but before they can really get into that, there's a, there's a noise, and it's uh, they they think it's a Dalek from the Chase is in the TARDIS. But no, it's Stephen Taylor from the Chase, and uh, and they they land in uh, 11th century Britain. Uh, Stephen doesn't necessarily believe it. The Doctor finds a space helmet for a cow and says it's a Viking helmet, uh, and then they they wander up, and a monk is watching them, and uh, the Doctor goes into this village and drinks some mead with a woman named Edith. And uh, and and uh, then says he's going to go up to the monastery because uh, things are a bit weird around here. Uh, Stephen and Vicky find a, a a modern watch, which Stephen uses as evidence that they haven't actually travelled in time. Um, and this isn't the eleventh century. Uh, the Doctor gets uh, trapped uh, by by a monk. Uh, who who traps him in a cell, and then uh, uh, Stephen and Vicky go after him, but but the the monk gives himself away by saying what the doctor's description was, and as they know, he's in there. And meanwhile, there are there are these Saxons, and there's a raiding party of Vikings, and they attack the village. And the doctor knows that the Vikings are going to come and 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 distract the King Harold, uh, and that's why King Harold's going to lose the Battle of Hastings. Um, and that the monk wants to change it; he wants to change history, and he's got all these anachronous things, and he's got some uh, uh, neutron rockets that he's going to fire at the Viking fleet um, and then so that he can change history so that, that history will advance more quickly um, but the doctor yeah, manages to shut him down by uh, taking the dimensional control out of the monk's TARDIS and the monk's TARDIS goes tiny and uh, meanwhile uh, Stephen, the Vicky and the doctor go go back to the TARDIS uh, the Vikings have been uh, defeated by the villagers and everything's okay and we see them against the starfield at the end uh, Supposedly to show us that there are more adventures of the Doctor, Stephen, and Vicky. Uh, and that's about it. The the monk w- may be and returning to your screen soon. <laughs> All right. Yes. So I, I kind of left out a lot of shenanigans with the villagers and the Vikings, right? 
Yeah, there was there was definitely like some forgettable stuff that's a bit back and forthy in mm. the second and third episode, sort of necessitated a bit by Hartnell not being there. But yeah, good summary. So you did it in about a minute fifty five or so. Yeah, uh, including the Starfield. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that seems that is so. So I was not aware of how this story ends. Right, I was not. A, I I had never seen it before. And first of all, I have to ding Britbox for choosing as it's uh the the image that you get for episode four the monk looking into his tidy tardis oh giveaway right yeah but it is i I, I actually uh uh have the season season two blu-rays ah so better way did not did not uh did not have that giveaway i knew that was going to happen but i was glad i i didn't have that because I was watching with my kids who hadn't seen it before. Yeah. Um, and I got to say that cliffhanger at the end of episode three yes. definitely had them sit up and pay attention, uh, even though they were enjoying it. I, and, you know, I got to say uh, that this is one of the more accessible stories of the era because, you know, and, and that's really just going, I know that's sort of what it's repeated to do, but the proof's in the pudding. My kids mm-hmm. were into it kind of the whole time. But when that reveal happens, when it's yeah. like, they were both like, whoa, this guy's a Time Lord? You know, it was just like, cool, which is, of course, what you say in 2023 when you see that it's a TARDIS. Yep. But um, it is interesting to note that that reveal still holds up with people who haven't seen the show or really, have seen the show before. Yes, and it held up with me. And and then also, so so the Starfield, I, I just thought it's worth throwing into the uh, summary because it that yeah, it's also cool, isn't that it? also surprised me. Like, wow, this is this is different. It's a very groovy yeah. mid sixties thing. Um, it it's almost <laughs> you almost think the best of the Hartnell era is yet to come. Yes, <laughs> except, uh, except it isn't. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a the gun. They put on a good show interview. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the it, you know the infamous behind the scenes stuff here is Verity Lambert was already on her way out at this point. Mm. She commissioned the story, so she's listed as producer. Um, but I don't know how involved she was, but uh, John Wiles, who had serious issues with the whole cast, particularly Hartnell, mm. was just coming in. I understand those issues began here where you know he was just essentially getting his fingers in the story a little bit and Hartnell didn't like the calls he was making so they kind of got off on a rough foot and then you know we've, we've talked about this in our commentary on the celestial toy maker and the smugglers a little bit on the issues in season three yeah. um luckily at this point they're not yet on screen so much unless you count Hartnell kind of not being there for an episode which unfortunately I would say does weaken this story a little bit yeah that's a little unfortunate but yeah let's let's go let's zero back to the the big reveal uh of of the monk because that is that is you know that's the headline from this story and I was surprised as as a Doctor Who fan who knows a lot about the show but hadn't seen this story. I was surprised how clearly it is it is described that he is one of the Doctor's people, um, hmm. which is both more precise than I thought it would be and leaves open a lot of possibilities. Because the interesting mm, thing about right. this this story chronologically is it went out, I believe, at the same time as Doctor Who and the Daleks starring Peter Cushing hit theatres. Oh yeah. Okay. So there were, you know, it was we we're in the midst of Dalek mania here. Yeah. But of course, in that, this, in this that, is, 
to, to just located space and time. Yeah. That'd be like July 1965. Right, right. So it's it's around about this time, and uh, you you could, I believe, you could have gone to see it and and then and then watch this on on TV. So it would have been an interesting. Uh, place to go but of course in that movie um the doctor's described basically pr- portrayed as an inventor right uh, from a different time but pretty much human right if i if i if i remember that movie correctly like it's you basically get yeah i mean if it's not said it's yeah. strongly implied now i would say that what's revealed here in the time meddler doesn't necessarily contradict that right um obviously it does go on to be contradicted when the, in the war games which we've done mm-hmm. Um, so there, there is more than you remember revealed here, but still surprisingly mm. little. So one of the things the doctor mentions is that yes, they're from the same people in the same place, but that the monk is from about 50 years later. Than yeah, the he says it in a, in a weird way that isn't, doesn't like necessarily chronologically locate him 50, something like 50 years after. Uh, or 50 years on. I, I don't yeah, remember how he says it, but it's confusing. It sounds a bit like he's judging based on the mm. time machine. The, right. That his he is an upgraded version of his time machine that I, I don't know how the doctor would know when it's from <laughs> since he left <laughs> 50 years prior to this. Right. But maybe he's got a little bit of intel. Um, and also, like, there's the whole thing about Gallifrey and you know, people who are from a certain time on Gallifrey tend to come back to that time. There seems to be mm. some sort of time alignment happening there. So it's not like you could go back to Gallifrey's past easily if you're a Time Lord, mm-hmm. uh, even though they've done that a bit, I think, in the sort of novels and big finishes. So I think the Doctor's also judging by he's been away for 50 years. Yeah. You know, something like that. That that could make sense. Uh, yeah, I, I we can we can get the transcript, pull it up, and and see exactly what he says. But yeah, so the the monk's TARDIS is a Mark Four, and it's a Mark right. Four of of a Type Forty. <laughs> it, it gets a little bit confusing because you're sort of smushing together the uh, the terminology of different eras here. But uh, but yeah, that's basically yeah, it's it looks it looks like the Doctor's TARDIS, which is which is the exciting thing. The exciting well is. If his he asks the doctor what types yours, and mm. the doctor says none of your business, which is a funny line. I mean, this is one <laughs> of the things about the time meddler. There's there's really great bits of comedy here, mm-hmm. and I would say really great casting of Peter Purvis, who is very capable of of those sort of comedic scenes and playing off of uh, Maureen O'Brien. Yes. but back to the sort of Mark Four versus Type Forty. So. I forget honestly when the type 40 is first revealed. I think it might be as late as the Tom Baker era, mm. but the idea like to reconcile these things, it could be one of two things. It could be what you suggested, which is that they're, they're both uh, Mark. Well, he's, his isn't a Mark four. The doctor's isn't a Mark four. So right. is, is it a Mark three? And there are like one to 50 and his is a 40 and, <laughs> or, is it the other way where they're both type forties mark one, two, three, four, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. And, it, and, and they, is it, is, do they name things like Apple where it's literally every one thing gets a number or is it more like Bose where you skip over numbers? <laughs> so you have quiet comfort one, two, then 20 or whatever they did. Right. So maybe there's only five versions of TARDIS. Oh and my goodness. 40 means, 
four, but it's also like you could do little, you know, 41, 42, 43, if you had sort of subversions. Now I, I, I really want a Gallifrey episode where we see the, the Gallifrey equivalent of Steve Jobs basically doing a <laughs> keynote live on stage where he unveils the latest, the latest TARDIS. Here's the TARDIS um, Nano. <laughs> with that's, dimensional that's, that's control removed yes exactly <laughs> with no dimensional control i love it uh okay so by the way what it says in the in the show is literally it so the doctor says you know the monk says what what types yours doctor the doctor says mind rope business uh steven says look i take it you both come from the same place doctor and the doctor says yes i regret that we do but i would say i would say that i am 50 years earlier right so he's kind of <laughs> estimating Right. And the doctor's experienced. I, I, I would sort of put a lot of stock in that estimation. Um, so what this also does, though, whether he's right or wrong, I think it more or less confirms the monk is not the master. Yes. Because, oh, yeah, yeah. that's. I mean, that's so clear because my, my first sort of judgment on the monk after watching the show was like, what if the master, but crap, uh, just, <laughs> but yeah, but just doesn't really have. A good, I mean, he's got a sort of big comedy list, right? Of that uh, list thing I didn't is mention. epic. <laughs> oh my god, that's giant of memes. He's got this giant to do list. Is it a meme? Because it needs to be. It's like the largest checklist you've ever seen on like a you know huge A two poster. Uh, well, it's literally like those easels they would have in elementary school classrooms where the teacher <laughs> is teaching writing and like every line has a dotted line in the middle. So you, you're learning that the small letters go to the dotted line and the big letters go to the top <laughs> line. And it's written out in this beautiful third grade teacher font. Yeah. And it's it's just the the funniest like things on it like i mean it's like meet king harold is the last one he's right? the last one and his, it's supposed to be his whole scheme is like to use king harold to like uh you know uh get an earlier renaissance basically to to bring about a flowering of technology i, I like that that's the last thing because it's yeah. more like no he 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 doesn't really care about the tech stuff he just wants a selfie with king Harold, <laughs> <laughs> right like that's really what a, the last to do should say he's a history celebrity fanboy yeah but yeah, like yeah, you'd think you'd want to meet him first if you're if you're going to use him as your sort of, you know, because the monk does say, look, you know, I want to get like jet engines by the 14th century. Right. Uh, I want Shakespeare to be able to put Hamlet on TV and watch it on TV, you know, in in his own century. Well, we're kind uh, of getting into if the evil yeah. plot had succeeded here, yeah, in that territory. But yes, he does note all that stuff. I, it's he does seem to. He he describes his plan as like this is his master plan, which again I think some people latch on and think is that the master? It's like no, <laughs> you can have master plans without the master. Obviously, the Daleks had one, um, but it's like it's it's kind of a silly master plan, and he, he he gets really excited about these technological advances. So you definitely get the impression he hasn't done something this big in terms mm. of altering history because his diary is filled with stuff like he deposited some money somewhere and took it out 200 years later and was a millionaire. Right. Which is a, a joke, by the way, yeah. that Douglas Adams repeats in the Hitchhiker's Guide. And now, now we see where he got it from. Yeah. And it's also kind of like the most obvious thing you could do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's like right in there. I mean, you know, again, it's 1965. So, you know, yeah. this is what, what became cliches yeah. is pretty new, but he also mentions that he gave Leonardo da Vinci the idea of, of uh, powered flight or right. 
uh, which isn't exactly which isn't exactly time meddling, right? Because Da Vinci did have the idea of of well, powered flight. Uh, yes, but it's like I like this. This is a good segue to sort of back into the conversation about changing history, mm. right? Because that's that's one of the big sort of markers here in Doctor Who, where this episode seems to explicitly contradict the Aztecs. So in the yes. Aztecs in the previous season, season one. Barbara tries to alter history by making the Aztecs less barbaric, tries to get them to stop their human sacrifice or at least reconsider it. Essentially, they push back, but the doctor articulates it in a sense of like, this is time pushing back. Yeah. Like, you can't change history. Not one line is a famous line from that serial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But now, like, this seems to say the opposite. And it seems very clear from. Now, again, Vicky's speculating a bit here, so I don't know if we can take it as 100% definitive, but she does talk about how, like, well, if the monk changes history, the history books will change because they haven't been written yet. Our, their memories of it yeah. will probably change. That's unclear, actually. I don't know if that would happen because they are now time travelers, and it seems like rules are different for time travelers. Yeah, they, but, do, they do express it as, as a concern for history books more than anything else. It's like, oh no, the history books will change. Like, not, right. not that history itself. This, is, this, is, this seems to be the earliest point where Doctor mm -hmm. Who comes out and says, time yes. can be rewritten. Mm. And the Doctor's warnings, to reconcile that with the Aztecs, the Doctor's warnings there are more figurative. I, I think he, you could sort of backread it as he's not literally saying time will try to stop you. Or if even if it does, the, you can potentially change history, but you really, really, really shouldn't. Mm. You know, that's kind of, I think, how to backread the Aztecs a bit with those so-and-so, so-called so time can be rewritten laws of time. Did you notice, by the way, that the Doctor, uh, Vicky, and Stephen all seem to have a remarkable amount of um, British history knowledge, considering that, you know, both Vicky and Stephen are from the future. Uh, mm. The Doctor really seems to have studied his, his British history, you know, and there's that whole aside that was apparently ad-libbed by William Hartnell, where he sort of explains the history of William the Conqueror. Um, yeah, I was curious is... about that. You 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 were a British schoolboy once. Did you uh, <laughs> did you learn all about William the Conqueror and the Norman invasion and the Vikings and all the background of that? Was that is that just pretty common in? Britain? It's it is it is pretty common in Britain, um, and it was it was certainly pretty common at the time. Uh, there was a famous sort of comedy book that the kids latched onto at the time called Ten Sixty Six and all that. Uh, which is kind of a, a parody of of the British history that everyone was taught, but yeah, you know, everyone knew that 1066 was huge. It was coming up; the 900th anniversary was coming up when this came out. Oh yeah, right? so that's, yeah, that's why true. that's why they focus on 1066. But yeah, it is. It is wow, true. the 100th anniversary is coming up. I'm just realizing <laughs> in a few decades. In, in a few decades, that's right. We will we will revisit. I'm sure 1066 in 2066. Look out for the Time Meddler 2, or the Time Meddler <laughs> 3, I guess, since the monk returned in the Dalek invasion of Earth. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so, but yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that he just, it, it is it is masterish in, in the sense that if you remember <laughs> Lotho's many years ago, right back at the beginning of our random journey, we did the King's Demons, where That's the master's true. evil yeah. plan is to prevent the Magna Carta from being signed. 
derided as low stakes, even <laughs> yes. by his standards, by the doctor himself. So, <laughs> and think of that when you yeah, will. wouldn't really, as as we discussed in the history corner, then wouldn't even have had that much of a effect on history had it not been signed. Um, you know, was it time, Chris? Shall we <laughs> to get in the history corner? Well, shall we enter? Sure. Well, to open history corner. That's, with the story and Chris Taylor. <laughs> that's that's so exciting that we now have a sting for the history corner. But it's also so exciting that we have a history corner this week because okay, background to this. Um, so I am originally from the northeast of England. That's where I grew up, and uh, that's that's where I've I've visited once before when we recorded the show uh, while I was in the UK while I was right. visiting family here uh, for the Mark of the Rani which is also set in the northeast of England. So the randomizer knows when I am going on vacation home uh, to to my family here, and it throws up a northeastern story. Now, Mark of the Rani is, is very clearly a northeastern story because it has George Stevenson, you know, local legend, inventor of the first steam engine. Um, uh, but th- this one's a bit more subtle because it's set in Northumbria, mm, uh, which is basically a northern kingdom uh, that was a kingdom before it was absorbed by the Kingdom of England, and it extended all the way from the Scottish border down to the Humber, where York is. Um, and uh, they're basically, you know, so so the Vikings did, as as it says in the Time Medal, the Vikings basically came down the coast, they, they sailed up the Humber, and King Harold, uh, who had succeeded Edward the Confessor, went and met them at a place called Stamford Bridge, now famous as Chelsea Football Club's home ground. is also called Stamford Bridge, but different Stamford Bridge. Um, and it was because okay. he was so exhausted after that battle that he did not have the, the forces or the energy or, you know, what have you, to uh, defeat William, uh, the William the Bastard, as he was known before mm-hmm. he became William the Conqueror. Uh, who, you know, basically took over all of England, took over all of the English territories. Now, uh, Doctor Who magazine, um, some years ago, looked into this uh, because the question is, where is the Time Medalist set? Uh, So obviously it's got to be north, somewhere north in Northumbria uh, of, of... the Humber, where the Battle of Stamford Bridge took place, where King Harold defeated the Vikings. Right. There's basically okay. only one option that was existent at the time, and and here it is. You can see I've got the the guidebook because oh, I literally okay. just went there. Tynemouth Priory, which we nice. know existed in 1065, and I, I've visited. Uh, I've got some uh, some footage of the site that you can hopefully see. It is it is fascinating, uh, not only because there we we have evidence that it existed in 1065 because they found the bones of a saint there. I don't know if that was oh, the wow. meddling monks doing. Saint, Do they saint, know which one? Saint Oswin. If oh, you, okay. if you can believe, oh, cool. right? Wow, I think we might be answering a, another one of our questions, but we'll get to that later. Right, so that's interesting from a Doctor Who perspective. But yeah, this is basically, so we know it's sort of a, a, a priory on a, on a hill, Uh, You know, it's the monk chooses it because it's the perfect place to launch 
atomic weapons at the Viking fleet, which seems a bit <laughs> a bit too right, much. And to, to get the gullible villagers doing yeah. his every whim. Yeah, uh, yeah, to get them to, to light flames that would lure the Vikings ashore and, you know, what have you. But basically it's time math. And, um, mm. yeah, it's, it's a fascinating place to visit. I highly recommend it if you're visiting the northeast of England ever. Um, not least because you do get that sense of this time is out of joint. Because, you know, the, the monk has his big guns on, on the hillside in the right. story. Uh, by the way, the time meddler really does kind of defeat the, uh, the the rule of you know Chekhov's rule about if you see the gun then it has to go off, <laughs> right? Right. We yeah. We don't get the gun being fired. However, there are guns there because it was basically it was such a strategic encampment that you had cannons there. You know, you had uh, Henry VIII trying to fortify it when he was worried about France and Spain invading. You you know, you, you had cannons in the Napoleonic era, and you had the really big guns in World War II uh, in ah. case the Germans were going to land, and they are still there. So you go and you see all these gravestones in this sort of spooky area, uh, including one area that sort of kind of looks like the prison that the Doctor was thrown in. Uh, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of sarcophagi that kind of looked like the, <laughs> the tomb that was the, uh, that was the monk's TARDIS. Did you, did you check them on the base for <laughs> yep. any doors? Yep. I, any I cables kept flying out clicking, of there? trying to click and see, uh, but no, no, no joy, but yeah. And, and the, and these big guns. So it's, it's, it's very strange. Uh, it is, uh, yeah. I, I highly recommend going to visit Tynemouth Priory and then walking down the hill to a little place, a little fish and chip shop just down the hill where they are very excited to tell you that Jimi Hendrix once had fish and chips there. <laughs> <laughs> and have that sign well, it's that, nice so. to know the villagers are still really gullible. <laughs> yes, I, I looked to see if Edith's mead was still on sale uh but but no Edith's no. mead that needs to be on a cocktail menu of doctor who drinks because this is one of the few times that we do see the doctor drink well anyway yeah. first of all thanks for the the rundown on the location that's really interesting it's uh i'm, I'm glad the cannons on the cliff face checks out uh it does seem like you would want to do that at various mm -hmm. places in uh in in England, um, absolutely. By the way, I should give a shout out to our good friends at the Cloister Bell Podcast, Rob and Liam, who uh, are also based here in the northeast and turned me on to uh, to this knowledge that the Tynemouth Brewery has that connection. Um, and uh, nice. you know, so we're kind of lacking connections to Doctor Who up here in the frozen north. Yeah, we got to reconnect with those guys at some point, uh, whether we're in England or not. But yeah, so the the mead scene is interesting because I, we talked about it before mm. and because of the, is the doctor an alcoholic we talked about in our <laughs> gunfighters podcast. And we showed this as sort of proof that he, uh, he might be. Yes. But <laughs> it's interesting. The one part I didn't watch or I forgot about when we were talking about that is he tosses the mead the second time. So he, he has a drink and he talks about how it's very nice and delicious and it seems like maybe he's just being nice mm -hmm. to eat it there because 
when she, well, as soon as she's out of the picture, he's like, okay, that's enough of this. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He, it may not be entirely obvious to the doctor that mead is a uh, is an alcoholic drink, right? It's entirely possible mm. that's the explanation that he he only realizes once he's sipping it. Oh, this isn't actually a non-alcoholic honey-based beverage. Uh, <laughs> mead's pretty damn strong. Um, and uh, you know, it's definitely uh, brewed by monks, so it's uh, the right uh, right thing for the location here. Um, but yeah, you're right. He does toss the second glass aside. So, so put this in the, the doctor doesn't like alcohol, uh, category, you know, the way that he refuses it in the gunfighters is definitely telling. Uh, and then of course we have the brandy and twice upon a time to go against that. So you've got lots of, lots of evidence one way or the other. This is definitely the only time where he is clearly in the classic series, the first doctor, uh, taking a drink and it's, it's not entirely clear whether he knows he's doing it. Right, whether it's willing or not. But anyway, that's the foundation. You can go either way with the teetotal or the not teetotal direction. Um, I kind of prefer my doctor as as occasionally enjoys a drink, but I definitely understand depending on your, you know, your kid appeal taste. Yeah, um, it can go either way. So when I, I still support him ordering a lemonade with lots of ice <laughs> or or milk because he drinks in the gunfighters. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so what did you did you detect a frisson between the doctor and Edith? Uh, oh yes. you know, he, he yeah, he he seemed into her. He was very complimentary towards her. You know, the doctor's interesting because he's so flirty, particularly the first mm. doctor with people in the past, and you mm. feel like these uh, these sirens from <laughs> from previous eras are really taken with the doctor yeah. because he's he kind of speaks their language. He can kind of relate to them on a certain level, but he's clearly very wise beyond his years. And there's this sort of reverence and I would say attraction from uh, these women to this very knowledgeable dude who seems, you know, very at ease with himself, but also able to sort of communicate them in a way that's sort of sensitive to where they, what they want to hear. So I can definitely see it. Uh, and I think they kind of lean into it a little bit. I mean, the way she, the, yeah. the actress looks at him and uh, he gets sort of persuasive with her later about, you know, the Viking invasion mm-hmm. uh, really kind of wins her over much more than the monk does. Yeah. She's very suspicious of him at first and basically kind of pins him to the wall with a pointy stick oh, um, yeah. when, when she first meets him, which I think, you know, as far as the doctor's concerned, that's a meet cute. Uh, he, he kind of likes he likes his feisty ladies to do that, but perhaps he look, also looked at Edith and thought, you know, that that woman reminds me of a cave woman that I visited with Ed and Barbara and Susan one time, uh, only cleaned up much nicer. Uh, <laughs> is it the same actress? It is the look. same actress. Yes, ah. who played in an unearthly child. Alethea uh, Charlton, I guess. Yes, that's right. Good for her. So yeah, she gets to play this with her own hair. Uh, no one does is, primitive mm. like Alicia Charlton. Well, she also, uh, unfortunately, has to be. We have to discuss the the question uh, that comes up with Edith's character of, of was you know we we know the Vikings like to rape and pillage, and they certainly pillaged the village. Right. And the indication yeah. is that they also raped Edith, uh, which yeah. is a bit adult for a nineteen sixty five kids show to to kind of give that. But I guess it's sort of ambiguous enough. Uh, yeah, really I think it's definitely ambiguous that. enough. So, so you can believe it if you want to. It's kind of like they did they did they or didn't they type scenes mm. as well. Of like, 
did characters sleep with each other or was it just something more mild? I think, you know, depending on your lens here, um, hundred percent, you could take that away. And I think that's kind of, if they weren't going for it, I think they should surely sort of saw it at some point and left it in, mm. but it wasn't I mean, like, I watched this with my kids. Like I said, I didn't think of anything too, um, it, like it was too scandalous. Right. They didn't ask, uh, I don't think not that they didn't want to. I think it really genuinely didn't occur to them because at first you're not sure if she's dead or not, right? Mm-hmm. Her eyes are just open. She's very still. You're kind of wondering, is, is she just supposed to be dead? And then you see her moving in the next scene mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, okay, I guess she's not dead. Um, and you can easily sort of chalk that up to being traumatized and no, right. no character. There's no other sort of telling reaction from someone else mm-hmm. about, about what's happened here. But again, you know, it's it's 11th century, you know. It's a brutal attack. They're Vikings. I mean, I think. Yeah. What what did Vikings know. do? I mean, well, we know by the way what Vikings didn't do. They didn't wear horned helmets. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> so that, that was like, a space helmet for a cow. Exactly. That famous line that gave rise to a a book on the history of Doctor Who, a space helmet for a cow, is from this episode. Is from the Doctor sort of trying to impart upon Stephen that uh, clearly they have time travel but yeah no that wasn't a Viking helmet doctor so it actually is a point in Stephen's favor that they haven't traveled to the 11th century um, well I gotta say that's definitely one of the better lines I mean it's very memorable yeah, and yeah. Hartnell I mean he gets credit in a lot of episodes for being you know his comedic chops I think they're on full display here mm-hmm. he he is great like especially his stuff earlier even in the TARDIS where Stephen's being very much the skeptic uh, by the way, really smart writing there. I think they really took advantage of the anachronisms of the monk, Stephen's mm-hmm. skepticism, and sort of playing those two things together to both frustrate the viewer and intrigue you. Right? Like, well, wait a minute. What we know that, like, as a viewer, you know the TARDIS is a ta- time traveling machine. Why? Why is there a watch? Why is there a record? Why, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So they play that up, but it's really funny where he's just like, you know, there's that's the dimensional control. There's a Chair with a panda on it, sheer poetry, my boy. I mean, it's just a classic sheer poetry. Classic bit. <laughs> the panda in the chair was was the panda. Did Stephen have a panda in the chase? Uh, yeah. So yeah. the backstory on Stephen in the chase was that he was from the future, and because he had been on Mechanus as a prisoner of the Mechanoids for so long, he had essentially developed a little bit of Wilson syndrome with his stuffed animal, his little panda, mm. which he called Hi Fi. So he he really grew attached to it, saw it as a uh, another person or a being, I guess. And actually, sort of, there's a plot point around it that I won't get into. But uh, yeah, that was the thing. Of course, that's so quickly forgotten about, along with Stephen's beard here in, uh, <laughs> in the first episode. Like this is the last we see of uh, or hear about Hi Fi, I believe. Because uh, you know. He's got new friends. <laughs> I guess he just likes to hang out on on chairs in the TARDIS, and that's sheer poetry. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe he took him with him in his last episode. I, I never saw Stephen's last episode because we never see Hi Fi again, and there's never been like mm. it lying on a chair somewhere deep in the TARDIS. So, so maybe that was a thing. Oh, but, bring Hi back uh, to the RTD caller. Um, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Can you imagine cosplaying as Hi Fi? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that would be um, quite an easy cosplay thing. Just get your furry costume. So you, you also in that scene, you get Vicky outlining what TARDIS stands for for only the second time in the show. 
after Susan did it in the Nursing World, uh, she changes the uh, di- dimension, dimensions, if you're really stick up for, for, you know, uh, for words and exactly what yeah. D stands for. And Stephen says it be IDPI. And Vicky says, what, IDPI? And, and Stephen says, yeah, it means I don't believe it. Uh, right, right, right. Good line. Good line. Good line. Uh, but also, like, why would could you not be uh, choose a uh, would it be uh, a b o t i a body on the inside? <laughs> Rather than <artist>. uh, <laughs> or do you prefer a l o t o larger on the outside, a logo, which is Clara called it. Um, Anyway, that's the only time. I, can, I think you're, you're figuring out why they didn't go in this direction as you're as you're talking it out. Yeah, yeah. But even IDPI, I mean, yeah, not yeah. maybe best choice of alternate acronym, but good for you for even trying. Yeah. Well, I think like again, I think the first two episodes. I mean, all throughout even, but like the, there's there's a there's a bunch of good comedy in the first episode, the second episode. But I mean, in when what I really like about early on in this story is when Steven and Vicky are kind of on their own, mm-hmm. um, separate from the doctor, um, they, they get a chance to sort of gel and through Steven's skepticism and through some of the sort of stuff that happens, you kind of learn a little bit about Steven, at least. I don't think this is a particularly great episode for Vicky. Um, but I do think Maureen O'Brien is good in it mm. and particularly in sort of giving her sort of wide eyed, uh, thinking out loud about changing time, but also playing off Steven earlier, like that whole stuff where it's, he's like, I've got breakfast. It's blackberries and some blackberries. I mean, there's, there's some good banter between <laughs> yeah. of them, but I do also like the bit where Steven sees the guy sort of picking up the watch and we don't know it's a watch yet. And Steven just sort of runs up and beats on him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Vicky's just like, what are you doing? Like, uh, yeah. but I, I do like what that sort of says about Steven. Cause you know, with Ian out of the picture, obviously we need another, you know, dashing young man to be the action mm-hmm. person, but he's different, right? Like he's got a different personality. He's a little more rise, a little more skeptical, and he's a little more quick to sort of, jump in on situations like this. So I really like that they're sort of consistent with the structure of the show here, but they're also showing us sort of starting to unpeel what layers there are to Steven Taylor and yeah. the kind of guy he is while also, you know, giving him good interactions uh, with Maureen O'Brien. Yeah. He's, he's definitely doing the Taylor name proud. Uh, yeah. So my favorite line from Steven is where he says uh, in response to the Saxon villager who says, I do not trust them. He says, "Well, I'm I'm not mad about you either," uh, which seems <laughs> yeah that seems that seems like uh, something that's sort of more amusing than the way Ian might have put it. He might be a bit too straight laced about these things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a little more rat a tat. He's a little more shooting from the hip. I gotta yeah. say though, that scene sort of annoyed me on one level because there's a point where they're like, "Well, let's see if we can get out of here," and Stephen just stands up. Mm. Like he just stands up and then they turn to him and they have their spears out and he goes, okay, I'm going to sit back down. Like he doesn't even say anything. Yeah. He doesn't even say like, uh, by the way, we're travelers and we kind of like to go. Can we go? Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess maybe cool. the implication is he's going to like 
resort to some fisticuffs or something mm-hmm. and you can't, but uh, I don't know that just seems again, he's, he's quick to do that kind of mm. thing. Right. Um, By the way, also uh, accurate. I, I love it that they gather blackberries for breakfast because that is literally what I've been doing here in uh, ye olde Northumbria for, for most of the time I've been here. There are just blackberries <laughs> everywhere right now. Uh, you can have them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They are amazing. So much better than store-bought. So highly recommend it for that reason as well. Well, I'm sure there were blackberries all over Northumbria <laughs> about a decade ago as well, but of a different nature. Because mm. that was a very popular phone in the UK, as I understand. It. <laughs> oh, yes, it was yeah. uh, back in the day. Back Sorry, the forget day. the dad joke, yes. everyone. <laughs> I just by BlackBerry on my mind because there is an epic movie, Canadian movie, about the yes! rise and fall of BlackBerry. I love it's that actually movie. quite good. I just saw it on a plane. It was amazing. I I saw that in theaters. I was so excited to see it. So uh, yeah, starring role for Steve Jobs as well as the as the ruiner of BlackBerry's dreams. Um, <laughs> so yeah, fantastic. Both kinds of BlackBerrys, fantastic here. Uh, it would have been great if the monk had had a BlackBerry on his hip. Like just, right. So that's it kind of brings up the funny thing of like he has all this 1960s technology <laughs> and in the case of the phonograph, it's even earlier than that. Like he just for whatever reason, he really digs the 20th century. So he so has he a gramophone. He has a gramophone. Yeah. It was actually a tape recorder in the original script. But I guess mm. they decided it looked better on screen as a gramophone, which makes more sense because a gramophone you can wind up. You don't actually need electricity. To, to plug in, which is, I guess, you know, one limiting factor of the monk's technology is he can't, uh, you know, he can't plug anything in in 1066. There's no well, I got the impression that the cable coming out of his mm. his TARDIS was doing that because he has a toaster, uh. right? Like the toaster <laughs> has to be. And he's got a little camp stove, which I guess you could just do. Yeah kerosene or something but then when yeah. you get the kerosene so you'd have to bring some with you it's it's solar powered um, he's solar powered he has a little solar panel just uh, off to one side of the monastery that's a little advanced for 1960s <laughs> you know but i guess he could just pop forward in time it you is know, interesting kind of like the doctor i mean this is the yeah. thing about time lord you have to sort of headcanon these anachronisms and would like i really latch on to that bit in the deadly assassin that the time lords no longer worship technology and mm-hmm. so since they have all of time and space to choose from it's really more of a style preference yeah and you yeah. just kind of you know it's just kind of amusing to them to use technology a gramophone would definitely be the steampunk option that's that seems to be you know the steampunk option seems to be what the doctor's going for of late in her later incarnations um but yeah, it's, it's interesting choices here. They 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 name check penicillin, uh, and the monk says, "Oh, it's a sort of herb." I don't know why he just doesn't mm. say it's a it's a sort of fungus. It's literally what it is, um, <laughs> uh, or blood transfusion. You know, he's like, "Oh, I could give her a blood transfusion." Uh, name check modern technology moment. Um, but yeah, you is almost penicillin want to... the thing you give some. I guess to yeah. prevent infection theoretically. Yeah. So that's what he's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just it's not as common today to yeah <laughs> he's a bit swallow scared some of penicillin when you're when you've been uh, chopped up by a broadsword. <laughs> yeah, that'll grow that limb right back. Don't you worry. Um, yeah, the, the Vikings in this, we have to say uh, to, to go back to them. Uh, the first thing I was actually watching this with my mother. First thing she noticed was the terrible Viking wigs. Uh, yeah, and the terrible Viking names, and yes, the terrible Viking non accents, and yeah, there's yeah, just some, yeah, they're kind of, of uh, yeah. they're kind of as hapless as as the monk is 
himself. Um, they, they kind of make good, good comedy villain bedfellows there. Well, what do you mean hapless as the monk? Cause that's a good thing. We, we haven't really talked too much about, about uh, Peter Butterworth mm. and his performance as the monk. Now he's more of a comedic actor and he's played more comedically here, um, which I think works pretty well, but there's a little, certainly a tinge, and this is probably why you would might think he's the master. There's a tinge of evil in his plan yeah, because he's very casually going to slaughter a whole bunch of Vikings, which admittedly are coming to invade. There's going to be mass slaughter kind of regardless. But again, that's kind of like the war, the war, which one was he? The war chief? No, the warlord, the yes. warlord's <laughs> argument in the time. In, the war games, these people would have died anyway. Uh, not, mm. not really a good argument. Still kind of an act of evil. I don't know. What yeah, do you think it's, about the performance and his motivation? I thought the performance was great. Uh, Peter Butterworth was later known for his role in the, the carry-on comedy films. Uh, mm. and, and he definitely shows his comedy chops here. He's got that kind of gurning look on his face a lot. Um and uh but yeah the the idea of the monk I, I i don't know i mean it's it's first of all i now know that the the bay king edward's bay just off tynemouth priory is so treacherous that uh that these monks writing in earlier centuries that were kind of banished here noted that ships would just founder anyway so you maybe you didn't mm. even need the atomic uh, explosion. But secondly, if, if you throw an atomic bomb at a, at a Viking fleet, uh, that's <laughs> going to have more repercussions than just destroying the fleet, right? There's, well, there's you could, gonna be you a know, it's a tactical nuke. It's a tactical nuke. It's okay. <laughs> a bit of a tsunami, maybe, uh, washing the Saxons out to sea. Uh, maybe they will start worshipping the monk. That would be one way for this to, to, to go belly up as a plan. Um, yeah, it's definitely yeah. not Time Lord style, yeah. I'll say. If it's, again, I think they just kind of went, leaned too far into modern mm. technology and decided they had to call it an atomic cannon. Yeah. But and the, then, yeah. The, the, the best way to see the monk, I think, is, you know, is as an avatar of uh, Dennis Spooner. The, the mm-hmm. writer of this right. was also the script editor. And, and this is the first pseudo-historical. Um, uh, because yeah, it is, it is yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's deliberately going against the grain of the historical story uh, by introducing the element of the monk. So you can sort of see the monk as as an avatar for Spooner himself, saying, "No, you should be able to change time in Doctor Who." So he's the he's the right. anti not one line guy who's coming in and bringing this new flavor of time travel to Doctor Who. So maybe the, you know, maybe the monk isn't the best thought out character, but it's his way of saying, Hey, you know, uh, I'm taking the show that was put together on the back of a napkin and I'm going to create a character. That's the opposite of the doctor, basically, uh, who thinks that he can meddle in time. And he even used the, like the original show Bible from 1963, uh, the one that Sidney Newman had when when he founded the mm. show, of like here's what Doctor Who is, and he, I, I love this when creators do this. They're just like, well, I'm going to create a character that's everything the Doctor isn't, uh, which is sort of how the Master began as well, right? Moriarty to the Doctor's homes, but but a little bit cheekier and a little bit more direct uh, of a way to sort of set out your stall and say, I'm going to change what the show is about. So. You know, it's kind of yeah. kind of basic as a story. It's kind of basic as a character, but it's definitely a way of nudging the show in a new direction. 
And I think if you were writing it today, you might uh, plan a little more, certainly than they did here. And you might even take the monk with on an arc mm-hmm. and essentially turn him into the master after a few more encounters, maybe with the doctor, right? So you sort of see a darkening of it. Um, I haven't seen the Daleks master plan. Uh, I kind of know sort of what happened. So I do feel like that started the direction they started to go in Yeah, with the monks. So again, I, I see the appeal of like thinking they're the same character. Um, but I also sort of prefer them not to be just because, you know, obviously we've gotten much more backstory in the master and his, history with the doctor. So it's, it's just not really compatible with the monk, but I like the monk as more of a mischievous force that mm. you don't like an ideological opposite to the doctor. Doesn't necessarily need to be like a super dark mirror that this guy's just, you know, he's mischievous. He just wants to do stuff. He, he talks about like, Oh, you know, this is fun. And like his whole like mopiness when the doctor's going to um, screw up is fun. I mean, <clears throat> that's really good. And you can mm. definitely see, Spooner's evolution here because he he wrote two historicals prior to this. He wrote the Reign of Terror right. and the Romans. Yeah. Um. So and with the Romans, he's he's already messing with the formula a bit, right? Yes. Like he's separating everyone. It's made more of a comedy. Uh. There's more slapstick stuff. He, Nero is almost like the monk in a sense. And mm. He's sort of almost this character outside of history in there that is he's he's using as as kind of a foil for the Doctor and just sort mm. of um get things going. So yeah. Uh, and then here he just sort of goes um, all the way with it, with this uh, pseudo historical, which would then become more of a template. Right. Exactly. Back in history. Exactly. And, and, you know, some fans have argued that this is sort of, this is the turning point for the show that, that basically the historical was pretty much dead after this. I mean, it did sort of limp on and there were a few more and officially the, mm-hmm. the Highlanders is the last or, uh was it yeah, black, until black orchid black orchid yes which well yeah, i mean you know the pseudo historical was was of which is the first was the new template for how you go back in time you just add a little science fiction element uh, or a little time mm-hmm. travel element um but it's it's interesting as basic as it seems to us it was very confusing for viewers at the time uh so reading up on these these audience research reports where they go and ask the audience what they what they think of this and there were there were comments like of i don't get it i don't understand why is there a wristwatch why is there a gramophone uh so you know we may Uh, sort of criticize it for like not taking it to extremes but like this was as far as the audience of 1965 was prepared to go and maybe it was even too far for them um yeah maybe i i think steven does a lot to sort of ease that transition because mm. he's sort of he's partially like the audience in in terms of his skepticism but like i said earlier the audience also knows better than steven we we know this is a time travel show and that mm. it's supposed to be so while it's confusing um i think it's to the credit maybe it's because they were sort of between producers but so it might have been serendipitous but that no one sort of stepped in and decided to sort of dumb things down or spell things out anymore and just yeah. wait for it all to come together. Except for William Hartnell. <laughs> <laughs> who, de- who decided and, and apparently expected that uh, they should be grateful for him stepping in to sort of say this aside to the audience of like how how stuff went down in 1066. <laughs> oh, <laughs> very, okay. Very Sounds strange. like a hard move. Right? Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, sounds like he answered some questions on the minds of viewers, but Indeed. 
Now we need to answer some other questions. And those are, of course, the four questions to Doomsday. First question. Why did the randomizer take us here? Oh, my goodness. I mean, this it's just so, so strange that this ticks so many boxes, not just knowing Chris was going to be in the northeast of England and serving in one of the few other northeastern stories. We may even have a northeastern England bingo. I don't even know. <laughs> um, I, I I think we probably do. Um, be interesting to see if we can find another one. I'll, I'll have to come back next year and challenge the randomizer to, uh, to find one for me. Uh, but also the Time Lord connection, you know, the Gallifrey mm, connection. Yeah. We found that Full Circle was a Gallifrey story. We didn't expect that. A little bit. Uh, you know, go, go back and listen to that episode if you want to find out why. Um, you know, and, and this is low-key a Gallifrey story as well. And, you know, Big Tardis story. And we know the randomizer loves those. Um, so, yeah, definitely continuing on from from its recent obsession with, with Time Lords and Gallifrey. So I think you're right. And here's my more direct theory from mm-hmm. a direct through line from Full Circle. This might be the one episode that supports Romana's stated weight of the TARDIS. <laughs> because she says it's like this ungodly weight, right? It's like, a, so whatever. So she needs scientific notation yes. to describe it. It's tons and tons and tons and tons. 50,000 tons. And so like mm-hmm. it lands on the beach and it's still there when the tide comes back. So, because by like what we've seen of the TARDIS in other stories, that mm. that still doesn't make physical sense, right? Because the TARDIS can be moved by physical force. People can actually put their hands on it, put it on a wagon or something, and take it somewhere. That's we've seen right. that happen a lot of times. So we why saw it in full water, circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't water do that? Well, here's why it's too damn heavy. <laughs> it's just sitting there on the beach and it's just, it won't be washed out. It might as well be like, you know, Mounted in the ground. So, boom, there and it it's, is. It's lucky that there were no marsh creatures. Uh, it's also lucky that the Doctor didn't have the flotation setting uh, for the TARDIS that we saw in uh, the, uh, oh, God, the, I always think of it as the Weed the of Death now. The Legend of no, no, way, no, Seeds the, of Death. No, 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 the, no, 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 the, the, uh, the, the Fury. Yes, Fury from the Deep. Fury from the Deep. We got there in the end. <laughs> yes, go back and listen to our Fury from the Deep episode for lots of discussion on the the floaty TARDIS. Um, the TARDIS and water, it's, yeah. it's just a grab bag. Who knows? <laughs> kind of depends on whether it's salt water, fresh water, beach, not beach. Under you know, there's sea devils involved. Yeah, be be un, all the way down with an air bubble. Who knows? Right, right. Does the, has the doctor trying trying to land it under underwater and open the doors like it did in Legopolis? And uh. the TARDIS says no to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The TARDIS really uh, has its own. Uh, you know, it may, maybe this is all to do with the swimming pool. <laughs> you know, oh yeah! Like, preserve the swimming pool. <laughs> if the swimming pool's inside, then it floats, or I don't know. Someone, <laughs> someone way more nerdy than I needs to do a, a look at every single time the TARDIS encounters water and whether the swimming pool was there or not. Good project. Let us know, folks. But in the meantime, <laughs> we're moving on to the second question, which is: What if the evil plot had succeeded? Alrighty, I have been waiting for this moment because because yes, we get to enter alternate history corner. <laughs> alternate history corner, which I like even better than history corner. And let me tell you something: the the monk 
it's just flat out wrong. Um, if there there've been lots of counterfactuals written on this subject because it's such an important pivotal moment in British history. Basically, what happens when William the Conqueror wins, when he becomes the conqueror, uh, mm. he basically has this whole kingdom uh, that that he effectively unites. It was a bunch of sort of fractured kingdoms, including Northumbria. Um, and uh, I, w- I would be remiss in not mentioning that the north part of Northumbria was called Benicia, because my, my late father was a big fan of the Benicia studies group that he was involved in. Uh, anyway, big shout out to the Benicia fans out there. Um, but <laughs> Basically, that's that's the future that that Britain that Britain rather England was looking at under King Harold. It was a lot of sort of fractured relationships with these kingdoms within England, uh, which were yes. already in revolt. Uh, you know, he's got to face the Vikings. Whereas when when the Conqueror comes in, he he unites the kingdom. He he does the the uh, the Doomsday Book, which you may have heard right. of. Uh, which is basically a list of literally everything in the kingdom so he can tax it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. That well, is how it's not it just happened. Doctor Who fans. I like their spreadsheets. <laughs> exactly. It is William the Conqueror's spreadsheet. And it did, it did, it allowed uh, England to become a peaceful country. Um, so, so the monk is wrong in terms of talking about, you know, focusing on the, all the French wars that would happen because William supposedly got us involved in fighting on the continent. And that led to the hundred years war and all all these other wars and that held back development of, you know, technology in England. And maybe we would have had the industrial revolution earlier. No nonsense. Uh, you know, the, the, um, you know, the standard opinion upon historians of the era is that if Harold had won, England would just sort of continue to kind of be just this outpost, uh, you know, not connected to Europe, not really trading with Europe, just kind of a little country, more of a Scandinavian country than anything oh, else because of all of the Viking connections and the connections of the Norwegian king, uh, who was the one trying to trying to invade, trying to claim his kingdom back. So wait a minute, is there then a British Empire? Does it seem less likely? Does it become part of the Viking Empire? Yeah, exactly. It, seem, it seems less likely. And and the continent would go a different way and England would just be sort of this, uh, you know, outcropping on the edge of Europe, uh, basically a, a very a very early pre-Brexit, if you will. Uh, wow. It just becomes less, guys- less relevant. So then there's less things they're doing there's probably no bbc and of course no doctor <laughs> who oh my god this is all a plot to get rid of the doctor in a more creative way it's like possibly a plot to get rid of the united states of america uh which, which would have wouldn't have happened in the same way without its english right. colonists um yeah, huh. yeah it's very interesting very interesting definitely wouldn't have so turned out either- the way the monk wanted it's either depowered England in mm. your version, or mm-hmm. in the monk's fantasy world, it's super powerful, technologically advanced England. And just to entertain for a bit, as fictional yeah. as it probably is, mm-hmm. like that's kind of where I went in thinking about like what would that be. So, like it, it feels like to me in that version of events, there this is a path to what you might think of like as pure monarchy Earth. Mm-hmm. So it's like. We come to a technologically advanced time, and certainly if the monk's schedule is right, that Shakespeare's on television, then mm. by the 20th century, we're super advanced and we have colonies. But 
possibly politically, we haven't really moved past a monarchy. So it might it might even explain or provide a path for all these planets we see all throughout Doctor Who mm. uh, that are advanced. Like Peladon is a good example, but they have mar- monarchies. They're they're ruled yeah. by a king or a queen. Interesting. And it's it's interesting to think about like what is the path Earth could have gone down to see that technology advanced quicker, but our political systems didn't. Interesting. Yeah, that that's definitely one possible outcome. It just you know to to go back to this point, not not to labor it, but it just it beggars belief that the monk would have just chosen King Harold as his. Uh, basically his his chosen king that he's going to like manipulate he's going to i mm. guess give him a bunch of technology but but why harold why mm. not william william would be a much better um you know a mark for this for this scheme because first of all you could just pre- present him with the doomsday book before it's written it's like oh mm. uh you're, you're over here and you, you want a list of every um uh, every structure in the kingdom so you could tax it all oh here's one i did earlier <laughs> you know so impressing the king that like not only do you save two years on writing the doomsday book you know you you've got him in your thrall and then you're like hey you know i got the head of your irs (laughs) exactly (laughs) very very powerful powerful position um you know so yeah very very strange that begets all the robin hood stuff yes (laughs) we see later right (laughs) amongst share the sheriff uh, yeah yeah well certainly one one thing we can say for sure is that the master's evil plan in king's demons would not have had the opportunity uh to come to light there would probably be no magna carta no king john um you know without oh, william the conqueror potentially a master monk showdown <laughs> uh, i'm sure that's been written somewhere but uh, we need to do some rewriting of our own which uh leads us to the third question which of course is where is the Clara Splinter. Mm. All right, Clara Oswald. As everyone knows, splintered in time at the end of the name of the Doctor. She is somewhere in every single Doctor Who story. What is she doing in the Time Meddler? Uh, well, so we've we've mentioned Saint Oswin. <laughs> yeah, <it's true. laughs> the bones, the bones of Saint Oswin, mysteriously found at uh, Tynemouth uh, Priory in 1065. Uh, okay. So maybe that is a sign that, that she was there uh, making sure that this is uh, an area of interest for people to come back to. Because we, we do know that hmm. the Priory was ruined before that. And uh, so why did right. Monk come along and choose it? Well, maybe Clara was, was lighting the way for him. Uh, so she guide him in then, and, and his his appearance guides the TARDIS to to come and take the Doctor where he needed to go. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely had Clara not necessarily in the episode mm. uh, because I don't think there's too much to clear up in terms of direct plot holes. Uh, maybe a little bit at the monastery when all the villagers rush in, and it's really just a comedy scene of them rushing in and out and the monk evading them. Um, which is a bit silly and you could sort of make up reasons why Clara sort of maneuvered things in certain ways mm-hmm. so that the monk could escape. That's a little easy. I was thinking similarly that something cleared out that monastery, right? Mm. Something happened to make it uh, abandoned and there is a village there. And so maybe Clara was part of a previous generation in the villagers that 
perhaps something scandalous happened with the mugs there. Mm. I'm not going to fill in any blanks, but <laughs> not sure. Something could have happened, and then maybe they were essentially all run out of town. And then it was just easy pickings for the monk to come in, appropriate it, and maybe there's a a certain amount of acoustic quality, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. She's, monastery. Yeah, she's setting she, up all of the uh, amplifiers. Because <laughs> just a gramophone by itself is not going to, you know. Or just, uh, you know, making sure the, you know, sound, as long as you have the right size tubes, right size holes in mm. in the walls, um, it'll amplify it. So mm. that's... That's yeah. all you really need to Maybe. Do you know what? I'm, I'm also thinking, we, we haven't mentioned this, but the monk mentions that he helped Stonehenge get built using anti-gravity or gravity lift for, for, right. for the stones or something like that. Now, he uh, someone needs to keep the monk from discovering that, uh, that Stonehenge is actually where the, uh, the Pandorica is. Is that correct? Oh, that is correct. So, yeah. yeah, the monk needs to not do too much digging in ancient Britain um, during his mm. uh, his Stonehenge visit. Um, which, by the yeah. way, did did that was that time meddling? Did he rewrite the history books? Who even knows? Was he successful? Uh, well, that's the thing. I mean, it was what I like about how they they leave it. It's a bit ambiguous, but mm. the, the strong suggestion is that what we know as history is already the monks' altered history, mm. like the stuff with the Leonardo da Vinci uh, and Stonehenge just existing. Mm. So all that makes sense. I mean, there must have been some digging with Stonehenge, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> they must have done it in such a way that you simply couldn't tell that it was done with an anti gravity yeah. uh, lift, but. Uh, you know, that's I've I've seen that conspiracy theory tossed out in various books when I was a kid. Um, it's funny to think about, and you know, fun to throw into our script of Doctor Who. Yes. It'd be funny if if he left a note for uh, the eleventh Doctor to find <laughs> before his big here, here. Here's your speech. Exactly. You know, he had it pre-written for him. And you know, maybe maybe if she was uh, in charge of the acoustics at the monastery in 1066, maybe she can also be in charge of the acoustics at Stonehenge. So that the uh, the doctor's uh, bullhorn can can basically get more uh, more more of a sound boost, so all these uh, these spaceships can hear it. Oh, um, you know what? This is awakening something. Maybe she was the companion of the monk mm, for a few adventures, and this yeah. is why the why the reason he was caught because now he doesn't have companions anymore. Ah, maybe he left her at Stonehenge for whatever interesting, reason. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That makes be sense. a whole Monk I, Clara Big Finish series. That well, you know, I have. think there is. So uh, Rufus Hound, a British comedian, uh, has played the Monk in Big Finish, and there is um, a one where he uh, he meets up with Missy. So there is that uh, Monk Master connection. I think it's in the <clears throat> whatever the Big Finish is with all the masters in it. Um, oh. they, they throw the Monk in as well. So we we got to put got to put that in our must listen Big Finishes. The masters, the masters. Okay, yes. I don't know if that's it. I think it's like masterful. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, Clara, you're nominated for uh, another companion gig. Hope you take it. All right, moving on to the last question, the only question that matters for the time meddler. What did we think of this story? 
Volta Open Rating System has six ratings. The first, the Dalek, is what we give to a good episode of Doctor Who. There is also the Ogron, which we give to a bad episode of Doctor Who. And the other ratings are not worth mentioning. No, it's <laughs> there's four others. There's actually the Professor Hater, uh, not so great episode that at least tried something or at least we learned something. The Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the the best of the best, and they are vested. Uh, and the fixed point in time, which is what we give to a story that is beyond rating that we usually can't rate for reasons of nostalgia, but sometimes for other reasons. Oh, and mm. yes, of course, there is also the Lady Cassandra for those still awake. <laughs> it is a rating that we give to Doctor Who as wallpaper that this story isn't that great, but hey, it looks good. So you might want to turn it on in the background for a party or whatever else you happen to be doing. <laughs> Yes. So I'm kind of torn on this one. I was, for a while, I was thinking, is it, well, it's it's, it's not a Viscount Bank. Despite the fact a lot of people consider this one of the best Hartnell stories, I don't think it's necessarily up there. I don't think it's a Viscount Bang. Uh, I'm not even sure it's well, a before you Before you finish that thought, I'm just going to mm-hmm. throw in my uh, ratings here from the most recent Doctor Who magazine. Ah, this yes. Is, it speaks to exactly what you just talked about, because it has risen in the rankings consistently since 1998. Because mm. back in 1998, among all the Hartnell stories, of which there are 29, it was ranked 12th. But it is every poll since it's risen to 8 to 5, and now in 2023 to second place. Yeah. The second most popular Hartnell story right after the Dalek invasion of earth. Interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure that it necessarily deserves that reputation. What, what have they got right below it? The Daleks master plan. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, we'll we'll have to watch more Hartnell to to figure out where, whether it's up there. But that's, that's an interesting choice. For me, I was I was first I was thinking Professor Hater because they were they were trying something new, but I'm not sure I can necessarily recommend it. Um, but now I wonder if it's a fixed point in time. Ironically, mm. <laughs> if we don't want to meddle in the rankings of this, because it was just it's just sort of like it's just the first pseudo historical, and it was just everything was new and and you can't really rank it. I'm not sure. What are you? What are your thoughts on this? My thoughts are that it is a very nice Dalek. Uh, I did okay. like the episode. It holds up. I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed watching it in particular with my kids who hadn't seen it before. I liked seeing their reactions to things, and they both really liked it too. They didn't love it, mm. but uh, Grace, I liked that she didn't just like the monk and the big reveal, but also that she talked about how Steven, she liked that Steven and Vicky were on their own for a while and had to figure out things for themselves. Like it is Mm -hmm. a smart choice to have them stumble upon the TARDIS. And, you know, cause they're in in particular, Vicky, who's already used to this lifestyle is sort of thrown through a loop by a number of things. First, the anachronisms and then um, the TARDIS reveal. And so this is a very, crazy story for her and, and Steven as well, obviously is his first adventure. Mm. So it's really fun to, to follow them along and they sort of paper over the Hartnell's absence in the second episode mm. um, pretty well. I would say, I think one of the things that is unfortunate that he's not there, a lot is relying on the villagers and their interactions with uh, the monk and the Steven and, and Vicky. And I also think 
uh, at first there's too much of that. You kind of sort of lose track of who's going to where and why, but yeah. there's a bit where, where they sort of try to outsmart the monk, but the mar- monk really outsmarts them. And I don't think they really do enough with that. Like yeah. I, I kind of wanted to see something a little more definitive of the monk sort of trapping them or um, turning the tables or I don't know, just, just, a, it, it just seemed like now they need to be, in the prison or now they need to escape. And now we're doing that rather than it sort of stemming naturally from the story. So yeah. um, for that reason, I think it's not quite a banger. I can't quite do it because it's um, there, there are some weaknesses here, but it's definitely a very good Dalek. I'm, I'm into it. Interesting. Yeah. I, I can't give it a Dalek. And, and you were actually bringing up something else, which is that whole thing where uh, Stephen thinks that he's tricked the monk into revealing that he has the doctor because the monk gives away more details yeah, of the doctor's that's, clothing. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. 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 So, but, but yeah, but there's no resolution to that. We don't find out if, if the monk is that smart. Um, and it just sort of, it feels a bit haphazard. It feels a bit all over the place. Uh, all right, I'm calling it. It's a professor hater for me. It's a it's a very oh my. it's a very good professor hater. It is it may be the best best hater of the haters. Uh, it's definitely trying something new. But I'm sorry, it's dragged down by the Saxons. It's dragged down by the Vikings. Um, it's dragged down by a script that's been sort of all over the place and kind of stretched a bit thin. Uh, the, the lack of music is a bit strange. Like there's not, not a lot of music in this. Um, but you know, a, a hater mm. isn't bad. We we learn something. We learn the the pseudo historical nature of a Doctor Who definitely works. It's a good template for stuff going forward. So I I, I call it a hater without prejudice. Oh, okay. Not even a wobbly Dalek. <laughs> maybe a maybe a, a hater Dalek hybrid. You know, you're kind of convincing <laughs> me on the Dalek front. So maybe maybe we can give There's this just like so much fun to be had here. I mean, the comedy some stuff totally works. The big reveal. I, I I cannot for the life of me say this is not a good episode of Doctor Who, but some people might think it isn't. I mm-hmm. So, you know, don't. Maybe maybe I, I'm prejudiced by my, my mother's opinion on it, which is that the basically that we were definitely not in the golden age of television in the mid 1960s. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you stick it with hater or is it a hybrid? Ah, uh, hybrid, 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 Dalek right. hybrid. Yeah, there. So it's seventy five percent Dalek. Hater with a plunger. Got it. <laughs> All right, folks, that closes the history and alternate history books on The Time Meddler. And we are going to go into our own full-size TARDIS uh, and find out where we're going next. All right, it's time to fire up the randomizer. The randomizer has two elements. Pete has one. It's the codex. It's the entire list of Doctor Who stories in sequential order. And uh, they all have numbers next to them. And we have reduced the number to the low 200s. Pete, where are we exactly in our journey? Hmm, We are now at 208. Now that I've just marked off the time meddler. 208. Not only are we close to being one third of the way through the codex, we are close to the magic 100 stories reviewed. Uh, that's going to be a, an exciting time when we do that. Stay tuned for oh, yes. more pull to open content around that. Uh, but I have plugged one and 208 into random.org, aka, aka the executor. This is how we choose our next random story. 
Uh, we will give the randomizer some challenges and then random.org will, using atmospheric noise, not algorithmic randomness, which computers use, which is kind of rubbish, not true randomness, but atoms bouncing around the atmosphere uh, definitely counts as true randomness, true-ish, uh, true-er. And uh, yeah, the, the randomizer has definitely been appeared to be taking us on, on a journey and appears to know where I'm going on vacation. Um, so <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to listen to our challenges, but Pete, what have you got for it? Um, you know, uh, this episode always gets me to think of breakfast. <laughs> so I want something where the characters sit down for a meal mm. and have, you know, they don't have to show the actual meal, but let's have, have that feature somewhere in the, in the, in the story. I'd, I'll even take a snack. Well, we've, we've already done the Romans. Uh, so we, we can't have Ian and his grapes. Um, mm. So, but they, there are many, many more feasts in the history of Doctor Who. I'm, I'm, I'm going to piggyback on that and get a little bit more specific because, uh, so in, in episode two, when the Doctor is in prison the whole episode, there is some water thrown out of his cell and in the monk's face. <laughs> and a lot of people have taken it to be that, that he's throwing hot tea in the monk's face. Um, it is actually uh, supposed to be some water that's just in the cell. Um, right. However, there is definitely tea in Doctor Who. So let's... Yes. Let's, many, many times tea is offered as well. Tea is offered. Tea is uh, a big plot point at the beginning of The Three Doctors, for example. Uh, where the, the Doctor still leaves feature prominently in the Time Monster. Yeah. So many tea options. So here, here I am in the UK. It's rare that we that we do this transatlantic version of pull to open. So I feel I'd be remiss if I did not ask for a cup of tea. <laughs> it's the eat and drink challenge for the randomizer this time on pull to open. All righty. Well, we got it. We got our challenges. Here is the countdown coming at you at four, three, two, one. Stable five. No. Yes, we're still in never. It is number five. Oh, I should have seen this coming. It is the Aztecs. <gasps> oh, it, yeah. wow. Oh my it god. Is, it is. I mean, with the connections right there. I mean, we just talked about it, folks. I I know you're gonna you're gonna be listening to this, and you're not gonna believe it. So I'm gonna do a, a screenshot right now <laughs> of the exact time that I hit the generate button, just to prove that this was not uh, this was not planned in advance. This is not this is not fake. This is not a lie. Uh, we have not rewritten history. You cannot rewrite the history of pull to open not one line. We have been sent. <laughs> to the opposite of the time meddler we have been sent to the aztecs wow that's true it's the changing time opposite that's yeah. incredible i mean you know it's cliche now but we're scared of the randomizer i mean it's constantly <laughs> listening and wow. it's it knows where we need to go okay oh my goodness the aztecs more hartnell <laughs> more time travel more history more potential changing of that history. Indeed. Wow. The right. original TARDIS team. And I guess, uh, yeah, there, there's there's probably some feasting in there. Probably not a lot of tea. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no tea. 
but, but Bar- Barbara's a god, so they're, they're going to have sure pizza in her honor. Yeah. Some food's involved. Yeah. All right, folks, you go ahead and get some food involved too. Have a snack. Go get some dinner before you binge the next episode or the pull to open or wait for it, depending on when you're listening to this. Guys, this has been Pull to Open the Podcast. It's a podcast. Go ahead, subscribe to it. Whatever platform you're on, there's probably a follow button if you haven't done that. Please tap that button. If you're on YouTube, there's a like button. There's a subs- there's a notifications button besides the subscribe button. Those are both good things to tap. Uh, once again, reviews are a great way to support the podcast. Go ahead, leave them in whatever app you're listening to us on. Uh, star ratings are almost as good. In fact, maybe even better. So if you're on Spotify, you can leave one of those. And reminder, if you are on Spotify, you can also rate the story that we just rated. You didn't like that we called it a Dalek. You think it's a Viscount banger like many of the people who wrote in the Doctor Who magazine. You go ahead, let us know and let the other fans know by voting on Spotify what you think the proper rating is. For the time meddler, follow us on the socials at Pull to Open 63 on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, uh, Missing One, Facebook, and Pull to Open, all one word, on TikTok. Okay, we will right, see folks. you next time. We'll see you in Mexico. Aztecs. You betcha. Looking forward watch to it. Watch out for those eclipses. I hear they can be <laughs> lethal. <laughs>